Well, I wanted to say welcome uh, to everyone. Uh, so glad that you are here this morning, especially if you're with us online. We wanna say thanks for joining us. We're grateful to have you uh, being part of this service. Uh, we, we, are, we are in our last week of our series, Jesus Loves Me, where we've been learning some essential Christian beliefs. We've been using that, that very familiar kid's song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. For the Bible tells me so, and this has just been a way for us to help remember, understand, and be able to share some basic and important uh, beliefs that we have. And today we're looking at that final phrase, for the Bible tells me so. And I want to start out the message today by just asking a real simple question. Uh, Have you ever had a really bad day? Would you just raise your hand? I think I'm gonna get everyone with this one. Um, And I would like to uh, show you some pictures that may help you with that the next time you have one of those bad days. Because I think when you see these pictures and then you remember them, you might be able to tell yourself on your bad day, well, this could be worse, okay? So here's the the first picture. This is like a bad day at Home Depot. Um, She forgot to put the lid on the paint can before she started the paint shaker. That's kind of a bad day, right? And uh, here's another one. This is a little subtle, you gotta pay attention. But after four hours in the office, this guy looked at his feet and saw that his shoes weren't matched. I mean, at least they're both black, right? That's something. And and then here's another one. This is a bad day. You know, I I don't really wanna know that guy, what happened to that guy. Uh, I'm not sure on this one that it could be worse. That may be as bad as it gets. And uh, finally, uh, let's just say it all together, it could be worse because you could be being chased by an angry 15 foot long, 8,000 pound hippo. Uh, It could be worse maybe than that. But um, seriously, uh, seriously, what do you do Uh, when your world shifts or shakes. Kind of like this past year, right? I mean, when there's a pandemic and when there's political strife and when there's cultural strife and when there's fires and smoke everywhere and on and on and on, and, and what do you do? And you know, sometimes our world shakes and it's in a big way and sometimes it shakes in a small way, but it shakes often. And if you're alive and breathing, the chances are there has been something uh, for you, maybe even in this last week. You know, over the years of uh, serving as a pastor, several decades now, I have been able uh, to walk with many people through times like this. And it's kind of an interesting thing for me to observe. Some people go through life-shattering seasons and they never recover. And then others experience trials, sometimes even worse than those before, and they endure, and they grow stronger, and somehow they they rise above what's happened in their lives. And in observing this, I've learned that change always seems to kind of lead to one or two things in our lives. We either grow or we have a setback. And change is inevitable, so the question is, How do we make sure that when change comes into our lives, we actually grow? How do we stay focused on what matters 
And how do we keep moving forward? And we find a really interesting answer to this question in the letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, The apostle Paul is writing this letter to a young protege of his named Timothy. He was the pastor of a church in the city of Ephesus, large metropolitan city, one of the biggest in the world at that time. And, And Paul is writing this to Timothy. Paul's actually writing what is gonna become his final letter and he knows that he's close to death. And so his words take on, uh, I think, extra significance. And in 2 Timothy chapter three, I want us to work through a few of the verses here before we get to our focal verse, just to set the context. Paul's warning Timothy. And he tells Timothy, you know, as you try to follow Jesus, there are gonna be some terrible times, difficult times. And here's what you can do in those times when your world shifts and shakes. Passage starts this way. This is verse one, 2 Timothy 3, verse one. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. And by the way, the last days in the Bible um, are not so much what you think about when you think of uh, those novels, you know, left behind. The last days really are the last 2,000 years and until Jesus comes back. We are living in the last days. The kingdom of God has entered this world and sooner or later the kingdom of God will come in fullness and and it makes sense because there have been for 2,000 years terrible times, right? All these things that you see have been around all of these times. It goes on in verses three through five, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, as you follow Jesus, there will be these terrible times and people will do terrible things and some of these people will be outside the family of God. They'll be acting like people who don't know God, like you expect them to act. But some will be in God's family and some will say they know Jesus but really they love themselves more than they love God. Some of them will even pretend uh, to be Christians and they will do such spiritual damage. Down in verses 12 and 13, Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's a promise in God's word. It's probably not a promise you have ever claimed for your life, right? (laughs) But it is a promise in God's word, so we shouldn't be surprised. He said, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So here's the problem. What's the solution? Paul is saying, here's how you, Timothy, as a follower of Jesus can stay stable and stay secure when your world shakes because of the people around you. And he, he, he gives his answer starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But as for you, Paul says, and he reminds us we can't control uh, the people around us, what they do, whether it's the politicians in Washington or Sacramento or whether it's your neighbor across the street or that coworker on the other side of the office. We can't control what people around us do, but we can always control what we do, amen? We can focus 
on what we can do. And Paul says to Timothy, you can continue in what you have learned. Another way of saying this would be continue in the teachings of Jesus. And so the next time your world shifts or shake, the more you say to yourself, how does Jesus call me to live? That's my center, that's my stability, that's what will keep me secure when everything around me is shaking, the better off you'll be. You know, Timothy, it's interesting in these verses, you notice he was blessed like some of us are. He, he had been raised by a mom and a grandmom who loved Jesus. His dad evidently was an unbeliever. He's not in the picture, but his mom and his grandmom were a faithful and they raised him to live in, in the Lord and to love the Lord. And so Paul says to him, he says, don't forget all those things you've learned from God's word, from the holy scriptures. That is the word of God, which we call the Bible because those things are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And now Paul's gonna focus it and he's gonna show you what keeps you stable when the world shakes around you. Verses 16 and 17, these are our focal verses. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the words in this book, the Bible, are God's words. They're God-breathed. Some translations say inspired. God-breathed is a more accurate translation because it focuses on the reality that God breathes them out. It's not like God breathes something into them. God actually breathes these words out. And as a result, these words are alive. As a result, these words have power. And when you breathe God's words into your mind and into your soul, they bring you life. They bring you power. They bring you stability. See, when you don't know what to do, right? You can turn to God's word and God's word will bring you direction. And sometimes when you know what to do but you don't have the power to do it, God's word will give you that power, amen? God's word is alive, God's word is powerful. And also notice that he says God's word is useful. This is not theoretical, this is not just something you know we talk about up here at church on Sundays, you know up here on the church campus where the angels fly around all the time. I mean we ought to know better at Southwinds, that's not what it's like just by smelling the way things are at Southwinds, right? But sometimes people think, you know, the Bible is for church, it's for Sunday. No, it is useful. It's useful for every day because it helps you live your life. It gives you what you need to face real decisions in your life. Decisions like, well, what do I do in this job? Or what do I do in this relationship? And how do I parent this child? And how can I be a better spouse? Or how do I deal with my shame? And my guilt and my regret. How, how do I forgive that person? You know who they are, right? Who wronged me? How? We're gonna look at this in a few moments, but 
The Bible, God's word is useful for all those things and so much more. Paul says here it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness or or in right living. And the result is that you as God's servant can be thoroughly equipped. That is, you can have every tool you need to live life in a way that honors God and in a way that helps you to flourish. So what can you do when your life is shifting or shaking? According to this passage, here's the answer, and you can write this down. The Bible will stabilize and strengthen me when my world shifts and shakes. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Would you just say amen? You've experienced that, and some of you are like, I remember that time I was in the hospital, I thought I was gonna die, and God spoke to my heart. He gave me a verse that I had learned, and, and I just clung to that verse, and that is what got me through that time. And, and some of you are saying, yeah, I remember that. I, I, I went through that, and maybe others of you, you're thinking, well, I get this idea, but that's, that's never happened to me. And if that's you, I wanna encourage you to kind of hang with us through this message and stay engaged because you can begin to experience that. And I'll just tell you, if you talk to someone who has experienced this, they will probably tell you that there was a time in their lives when they hadn't experienced this. But at some point in their lives, they read God's word and they said, God, you say your word will stabilize me and strengthen me. And so I'm gonna look to your word for your wisdom. And I'm gonna look to your word for what you want me to do in this crisis. I'm gonna look to your word for the strength I need to face this challenge. And they trusted in God's word and God came through and God gave them what they needed. Amen. See, I can tell you that time and time again in my own life as a follower of Christ, God has used his words to teach me and to give me wisdom and to give me strength and to give me encouragement. And so I wanna share with you today so that you can experience this too. You know, we asked at the beginning of this series Um, or he talked at the beginning of these series about the core essentials of the Christian faith and how they they are what connects us to, plugs us into God's power. And maybe remember if you were here on week one how we talked about that time I traveled to Europe and experienced what some of us experienced where you get over there and you you don't have the right plugs to connect to the power uh, that's there. And, And we've been talking about this object lesson throughout this series, how accessing God's power is not complicated, but it is precise. And it's like there's these two or three prongs and they've gotta be in the right place. And it's, it's like that with essential beliefs. And it just by way of review, we've learned uh, that it is essential to believe that Jesus is the one true God, the Messiah, fully God, fully human. It's essential to believe that Jesus actually loves that he gave his life on the cross for my sin, for your sin, for our sin. It's essential to believe that uh, about me, that I need that love, that I am a glorious ruin being restored. And it is essential, as we saw last week, that we can know this, that we can actually live in the assurance and live in the confidence that my sins are forgiven and that I can, I can rest and follow Jesus knowing that he holds me in his hands. And so with all those things in, in mind, we're wrapping up today with this final phrase, for the Bible tells me so, because we believe that the Bible is God's word. And, and here's the thing about all we've been talking about. How do we know about any of those things we've been discussing? How do we know about anything that we need to know in this world except through the Bible? 
How do we know God's heart except through the Bible? How do we know God's will for us except through the Bible? See, we believe the Bible is God's word and we believe the Bible is true, always true in what it says. And we believe those things because we've experienced this in our lives. We've seen the power, we've seen the change that comes in ourselves and others. And so I wanna show you with the rest of our time that we have today, three things uh, about this. What does it mean when we say the Bible for the Bible tells me so? Here's the first one. And this is so important in this age in which we live. Because the Bible is God's word, it is my authority for what I believe and how I live. And as I talk about this, I just wanna ask you, is this true for you? I don't really care what you would say in church because you know the answer to this question. If I ask you this question personally, I know what you would tell me, but what I really wanna know and what you should really wanna know is, is this true for me when I live? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday. Is this true for you? And are you honest enough to ask yourself the question and honest enough to answer that question with truth? Is it your authority? See, what this means really is every time we hit like a fork in the road of life's decisions, you know, what do I do with my sexuality? What do I do with my finances? What do I do with my past hurts? How do I spend my time? Whenever I need to make a decision, whenever I face a crisis, I look to the word of God. It's my authority. And I, and I say, God, you have revealed your heart here. You know, we, we learned a couple of weeks ago something that a lot of us don't ever think about, but the Bible is so clear on it. We learned when we studied uh, that, that week, Jesus loves me, we learned that our hearts are often deceitful, right? My heart is deceitful. That's what Jeremiah 17, nine says. So I can't trust my own heart. I don't care how many people on Instagram tell you you should trust your heart. God's word says don't trust your heart. Your heart's deceitful. I can't trust my own heart, but I can trust the heart of God. And so anytime, again, there's a crisis, a moment of decision, I will look to God's word if it's my authority and I will say, God, you tell me what to do. I am trusting that your word leads to life. Your word leads to freedom. And I remember as I read your word, God, that what I think is best actually so often leads to death and destruction. I'm gonna trust you as my authority. And this is my heart for you as your pastor who loves you. I want you to know this. I want you to flourish. I want you to have life. I want you to experience this life-changing power. And friends, there is so much power in this book to change you for the better, to make you more like Jesus. But the reality is simple. If that book, this book that you read is closed and it's sitting on a shelf and you rarely consult it, you will not be plugging into that power, you will not see the change and the growth and the flourishing that God wants to bring into your life. Does that make sense? See, let's kind of look back to something we saw a couple weeks ago. This is again for all the car people in the room. We, we, we talked about the restoration of classic cars and I'm gonna show you another picture. This is a 1960s uh, Jaguar found in this condition and, and in this state it was 
sold for $80,000, just like that. Somebody valued it enough to pay $80,000 for that, and someone loved it enough to not only spend $80,000, but then to, to go on and spend whatever it took to restore it. And here's another picture. After 3,000 hours of work, this is the exact same car. Every piece of metal on that car, sanded, sandblasted, cleansed from any kind of rust or corruption, restored to what it was originally intended to be. And we learned from this picture that after we place our faith in Jesus, God begins the same kind of restoration project in our lives. And he starts with the engine, which is our heart. And we're just learning today how God does that, and he does it as we look to his word. You can maybe think of it like this. We keep, uh, God's word keeps us in his repair shop, in his restoration shop. His word keeps us growing and learning and being restored in every different area of our life. Now, here's another picture. This is an example of the kind of repair manual that you might um, utilize if you are restoring a classic car. And what's great about a manual like this is, is that they tell you everything you need to know. They tell you how to remove each part, how to clean and restore the parts, how to put them back together. And you probably can't see it because this has been blown up so much, it's kind of unintelligible now. But, but this picture at the bottom, it's, it says there are thousands of crisp, clear illustrations. There's pictures. And I just love that because it's, it's so practical, right? See, it's like this. If you have this book and if you have the right tools and if you have enough time, then you could actually restore one of those cars described in this book. And the Bible works the same way for us. If we stay in God's word, God's word restores us. God's word renews our minds with his living word. God's word rebuilds our broken relationship. God's word renews our finances. God's word takes our bad habits and transforms them into healthy habits because God's word is alive and God's word is full of power. And you see, one of the things that we should always keep in mind is that all of us have areas in our lives that are like decayed or in disrepair, But whatever they are, those areas can be repaired and renewed and restored by the word of God, the power of God. He's the one who does the work, but he has a guidebook. He has a repair manual, and that manual is called the word of God, the Bible. Second thing that for the Bible tells me so means is I conform my life to God's word. And this just flows out of the first thing. If the second thing isn't happening for you, the first thing isn't true for you. You understand? If God's word is your authority, then you'll be conforming your word, your life to his word. Verse 14 says, but as for you, continue. Maybe underline or circle, highlight somehow for yourself that word. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. So the same scriptures that lead us to salvation, these are the scriptures that will continue uh, repairing us, reshaping us, renewing us, restoring us, and guiding us as we follow Jesus Christ. And you know, whether you realize it or not, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there was some scripture, some word from God's word along the way that God used to go down into your heart and to bring about new life spiritually in you Maybe it was that scripture we looked at a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. 
saved. You will be saved. Maybe it was the scripture where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you heard that and you knew it was true and you believed it and you came, you came to the Father through Jesus. Maybe it was the scripture, John three sixteen, where God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have the gift of eternal life. Maybe it was the scripture in Ephesians that said we are saved by grace through faith, not by our own works. Salvation is purely the gift of God. You see, in all of our lives, wherever we've realized it, wherever we've not, God uses his word. He uses his word, the scriptures, to open our eyes, to speak to our minds, to speak to our hearts, to birth new life in us. And so what it means to follow Jesus is that we are following his word, conforming our life to his word because it's full of power. I just wanna ask you, are, are you doing that? Are you allowing God's word to shape you and conform you? Let's look at where this comes from in our text. Again, remember Paul's talking to Timothy as a young leader, and he says in verses 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, and he mentions those four things. Um, God, God describes in another passage scripture as a meal that we actually eat, and this is such a helpful analogy for us in many ways. God talks about this, that when each of us first place our faith in Jesus, we're like newborn babies spiritually, and, and just like a newborn baby is very hungry, we need to start eating right away. We need to feed regularly. But you know, babies can't eat steak, can they? I mean, they, they have to start with milk, and there's parts of scripture that are like pure milk, the pure milk of the word, they're so rich so full of life, we need to drink them in. And, and you know, every time you gather here, what's happening, I don't know if you realize this, but what's happening is we are feeding you the word of God. It is here for you and you are taking it in. And if you are listening and if you are praying as you hear and if you are applying these things to our life, you are eating, you are feeding. And we're supposed to do that as we gather together each week. But you know, that's not enough. You need to feed yourself through the week. And as you feed yourself daily, growing stronger and stronger, some things are gonna happen. You know, and, and Paul says one of them is that God's word is practical for teaching. It's useful for teaching. You know, as we take God's word in, you know, we are taught the truths of God. We, we, are, we are taught the, the ways that lead to life. And, and those are contrasted to so many things that we used to believe. How many of you know, maybe you can think of something right now that, that you used to believe, this was how you guided your life, you, you lived your life according to this, but now you know because you've heard the word of God that that way you used to follow was leading you to death. How many of you know that you used to follow something like that? Aren't you so glad that you know the truth and you've learned it in God's word and it's leading you to life. That, that's teaching and, and we learn doctrines and we, we always want to learn more. We want to grow deeper in, in what we are learning. We, we learn about who God is and out of that we learn about who we are. We learn about all these practical areas of our lives for our families and for dealing with people that have hurt us. 
overcoming shame and guilt and, and bitterness. God's word teaches us in all these areas of our lives. But God's word is also useful. I mean, this is an unpopular thing today. Like you're never supposed to do this because it's, it's not nice. But God's word rebukes. God's word rebukes us. You know, is rebuke a negative thing? Do you always receive a rebuke as just a negative thing? You know, scripturally, rebuke is actually a very positive thing. I'll give you a little example that maybe you can connect with, relate to what, what rebuke is about. I was actually on a walk throughout my neighborhood a couple of days ago, and um, I saw this mom talking to this child in the street, and I don't really know what was going on, but it was intense. And I actually started walking faster because I didn't want to be around for whatever was about to go down. But I was thinking about that when I was thinking about this and, and I thought, well, maybe she was rebuking that child for something that child had done. And maybe something that child has done was leading that child to danger. Because haven't we all been in that place? Like we're a little kid, your kid runs out into the street. Anybody have runners? You know, you raised a runner or two. They run out into the street and there's traffic. And when that happens, you, you don't say, oh, sweetie, would you please listen to mommy? Would you please walk over here out of the traffic? You don't say that, do you? So I'm a pastor and it's Sunday morning. I'm, on the, I'm on behind the pulpit. So I'm not gonna say what some of you say when that happens. <laughs> but in that moment, when you yank that child's arm and you speak those words that I can't say up here right now, that probably doesn't come across as real loving to that child, right? But it's actually a very loving thing to do because you're protecting them. And, and that's what God's word does for us. It's an expression of love. Rebuke comes into our, our lives. There's actually a verse in Proverbs that says that the wounds from a friend can be trusted. It says that enemies multiply kisses. You know, maybe you've had a good friend come to you and they told you something you didn't wanna hear about yourself, right? They rebuked you. And maybe you didn't like it, but you had a decision to make and, and because you need to remember people who don't love you, they're not gonna tell you hard things. They don't wanna deal with the conflict. They don't wanna deal with you. But sometimes a person who really loves you, they're gonna step up and give you a rebuke because you need it. And it might be in your workplace and maybe there's someone there that you're kind of attracted to, but you're married and there's this, this emotional connection, this kind of magnetic draw to that coworker. And maybe there's a time where someone who knows you, a Christian brother or sister, they, they come to you and they rebuke you and they say, stop this, this is dangerous. If you keep going down this road, it's only gonna damage you. It's only gonna uh, kill your marriage. It's only gonna hurt your children, maybe for decades. It's gonna destroy your legacy. Sometimes we need a rebuke in our lives. See, the word of God does that. It rebukes us, teaches us what we need to hear, but there are times the word of God reaches out and yanks that arm, doesn't it? And tells us, stop, don't go there. It'll only hurt you. 
And then it also has this idea of correcting. This is closely connected to rebuking. Uh, rebuking is about you're on the wrong path. Correcting is about how you get on the right path. And then it says the word of God trains us in righteousness. And this is like for right living. And this word training is actually an athletic term. Like when someone's training, you know, for some competition, maybe like training for a marathon. I actually have a, a nephew who right now, as we speak, is doing an Ironman triathlon in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you don't know about the triathlons, the Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim. No big deal there, right? We can all swim two and a half miles. <laughs> Followed by a 112 mile bike ride followed by a 26.2 mile marathon. Now, we have at least one person here at Southwinds that I know has done a, a triathlon and some of you are runners and some of you have, have run marathons, but anybody who's ever trained for any kind of physical challenge knows that you, you often start off thinking, I, I can't do that. You know, some of you would say right now, if someone said, hey, let's run a 5K, which is 3.1 miles, you say, I can't do that, and you can't. But if you go out and you run a half mile, and then you run a mile, and then you run a mile and a half, and two miles, pretty soon you'll be up to that place where you can actually do it, because you're, you're training. It's actually the same way in all areas of your life, like forgiving people. Some of you right now are thinking of someone and you're saying, I can't forgive them. And maybe you can't in your own strength, but with the word of God, speaking truth to your heart, transforming your mind, with you following the word of God with steps of obedience, you will find that God gives you power to do something you don't think you can do. Same thing is true with how you handle your money. I can't do that. I can't be responsible. If you follow God's word and you train, you will be able to do that. God's word trains us. It, it teaches us what we need to know. It rebukes us where we're wrong. It, it corrects us, puts us on the right path, and then it trains us on how to stay on that path. And it doesn't mean it was easy, but God's word does what we need to have happen. And our spiritual muscles, when we get trained, they go stronger Maybe if you like this thought, you can think of God's word as your personal trainer to train you in your thoughts and in your emotions, in your decisions, in your relationships. And it takes time. Like in case you're not aware of this, I'll just make it straight for you. It takes your whole life, okay? So if you think it's gonna be done before that, I'm sorry. It's gonna be going on the rest of your life. It takes time. Just like the restoration of a classic car is a process, learning this new life in Christ, being restored in every area of our lives, it's a process. But when we stay in that process, when we stay committed to conform our lives to God's word, when we allow God's word to train us, it keeps us in that restoration process. And over our lives, every dimension of our lives gets touched by God and we be conformed to the image of Christ. And it's Restoration happening, right? One day at a time, one area at a time. I, I've, for long story I won't go into, but I've kind of gotten interested in some ways in trees. 
um, in the last few years. And I was thinking about that this week because of some things coming up. But one of the things you may have noticed uh, when you see really large trees is that they're often, really large trees, they're often at the edge of a river or like a lake. And I got a picture of a tree like this um, that's by this body of water. And when you look at a tree like this and you kind of ask yourself, what does it take for this tree to get huge and healthy. Well, we know it takes sunlight. That's why the branches are reaching up to the sky. The leaves are doing their thing, you know, absorbing the light. But, you know, you can go to the desert. We got desert in California and there's lots of sunlight there, but you're not gonna find these big trees because it also takes something else. Second ingredient, it takes water. And I, I love this picture because you can, you can see here in this picture the roots of these trees. It's almost like they're reaching down and they're drinking the water. And that's why this tree is so strong and so big because it's in a place where it's getting light and where it's getting water. And that makes me think of a psalm. It's actually Psalm 1, maybe you know it, that says, blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord or the Bible, Right? Blessed is the person who, what, meditates on his law day and night. They're taking it in, they're drinking it, they're feeding on it. And it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. What do those last four words say? Say it with me. Whatever they do prospers. Would you like that to describe your life? It can, but only when you're in the word of God, only when you're in the word of God, we're actually gonna be doing a, a series I'm super excited about starting in just a couple of weeks, all through the summer. It's a series we're calling Summer Songs, and it's simply going to be a series where we explore different psalms that God has inspired and put in his word for our lives. Along with that, if you come back next week, we're going to give you um, a, a reading challenge for your summer. And, uh, you know, summer's not just about like doing nothing. It should be a time where you do some renewal, right? And this would be a great opportunity. It's gonna be a 90-day reading through the Psalms challenge. And if you wanna take it up, you can read all of it. If you don't read all of it, that's fine. Just read whatever you can. But we're gonna be giving those out and then we're gonna be studying those together and we're gonna grow, and we're gonna see God work, and we're gonna experience his, his prospering in our lives. Now, I mentioned um, earlier that 2 Timothy is written by Paul uh, to Timothy, and maybe you know that Paul started out as a skeptic. His name was Saul. Uh, he hated Christians, but he knew that Jesus had lived, but he didn't believe that Jesus was God, and then, you know, uh, God just knocked him off his something, onto his something, and, and uh, opened his eyes, and he became a Christian. And he actually becomes a servant of God, and he starts churches all over the ancient world. And it all happens in Paul's life because he was a student immersed in the word of God, and he lived according to the word of God. And so he's just telling, he's telling Timothy in this passage how important the word of God is to his spiritual health, Look to God's word, Timothy. It will nourish you. It will satisfy you. It'll be water for your soul. It'll keep your leaves green. It'll allow you to bear fruit, even in the storms of life. Let me give you real quickly as we wrap this up, the third thing for the Bible tells me so means. When I choose to submit to it, God's word does four things. 
When I choose to submit to the word of God, it protects me from evil. We've been talking about that. God's word also guides me into life. And God's word also transforms me for the better in any area of life where I submit to it. I become more like Jesus. And um, then it restores me to be what God desires. Now, we're not gonna dig into those in depth right now. That's all I'm gonna say about them, but here's what I wanna have happen. So many of you are in your life groups and you're gonna be studying this passage together. I want you to explore those, those four things for your life and talk about how God's word has accomplished those things and can accomplish those things. And um, I, I, I wanna show you a picture again. I, I, I showed you earlier this picture of the car repair manual. And it's such an interesting idea to think about because when you restore a car like we've talked about, you have to take off the old parts, restore them and put in new parts. And that's actually what the Bible tells us happens in our lives when God works, right? God tells us to put off old things. He says, it's like clothing. He says, take off lying, take off greed, take off sexual immorality, take off drunkenness, many more things. And then he says, put on love and compassion and gentleness and patience and self-control and kindness so that we can be restored. But here's the point of all that I've been saying to you today. This cannot happen, it cannot happen unless you are engaging with God's word. See, that's how we keep getting restored. And this happens on Sundays as we gather like this, but it's not enough just to come one day a week. You need to personally take God's word and eat it. Feed your mind on the word of God. Put it into your heart. You know, it's not too much to say that we need God's word every day. God's word is our spiritual food. Do you eat every day? I mean, why do I even ask that question? Of course you do. We, we need God's word every day. And this is not a legalism. And I'm not putting some kind of legalistic burden on you. It's just wise to eat spiritual food every day. Now, I won't try to tell you exactly how to do that. We each need to find our own rhythms and patterns. Maybe you need to do it in the morning. Maybe you need to do it at night. But we need to eat regularly. We need to feed ourselves the word of God. You need a plan. I think our summer series can help you with that. But I have this question I want you to be asking yourself, and it's this, what's my plan? Do you have a plan? Um, this is another thing I hope our life groups will talk about is the plans that we each have learned and, and a practice in our own lives to get into God's word. Maybe you have one and you can share it with your group. Maybe you don't have one and you need some advice. If you're here right now and you're saying, I don't know where to start, let me give you one simple suggestion. Just start with the Gospel of John. Just start with the Gospel of John. It's a, a summary of Jesus' life. And you know, like when you're restoring a car, you, you put a picture up on the wall of what it's supposed to look like when it's done. And, and when you read the gospel, you're seeing that Jesus is that picture. And he shows us, here's what it looks like. 
to be completely free from sin, to be completely free from guilt, to, to find all of your identity and purpose in God. Jesus models that. We see that in his life and his words that he speaks are so full of life. So if you don't have a plan, that's where I'd encourage you to start. You can just read a chapter a day. If a chapter is too much, just read a paragraph. Just read until God speaks to you. Maybe write some things down, but just let God's word get into your heart. Talk to God about that. That's called prayer. And then the next day you pick it up again. You can do it in the morning, as I said. You can do it at night, but you need to do it. You need to eat. Feed yourself on the word of God. Here's the last thing I wanna share with you. Because we love God, we love his words to us. And all I wanna say here, um, if you say you love God, but you're not reading his word. You don't love God as much as you think you do. I'll put it that way. And so I hope that you would see God's word not as some list of rules, not as some ancient history that doesn't really apply to your life, but I hope you'll see it as God's love letter to you. And by the way, if you don't get why God wrote his word the way he did, why he included all the stuff he did in his word, let me just tell you, the problem is not with God's word. The problem is with you. Does that make sense? If I don't get God's word, it's not a problem with the Bible. It's a problem with the way I think. And that needs to be shifted. My thinking needs to be adjusted. And so I just wanna encourage you to love God's word because God gave you his word because he loved you. It expresses his heart. You know, I've, I've been a Christian now for over 50 years, uh, which may amaze some of you since you're wondering how could that happen since you're 49. Um, <laughs> but I wanna tell you from personal experience, just from my heart to yours. God's word has never let me down. God's word has taught me and rebuked me when I needed it. God's word has corrected me and put me, put me back in the right path. God's word has trained me to be like Jesus. God's word has never let me down and I am confident it never will. And I wanna tell you, God's word is better. It's just better. It's better than anything else you can put in your mind. It's better than that social media feed you check sometime during this sermon. It's better than that show on Netflix or Hulu. It's better than those anxious thoughts that you are allowing to run riot through your mind. It's better. It is just better, friends, because it's the God of the universe telling you that he loves you and telling you he wants to speak to you. So will you love God by loving his word? Will you love God by loving his word? Let's be a people, Southwinds, who love God's word because he first loved us and because we love him, amen? amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?